Thank you, choir, for that uh, hymn uh, of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and and it fits very well with the subject of our sermon today as uh, we're looking at God Almighty and how God is sovereign over this world and that He will bring judgment and justice to this world, and uh, that fits very well with the song itself. I love uh, one line in in that uh, song where it says uh, that the soul uh, that the world will be his footstool and the soul of wrong his slave. That God is going to bring justice to this world for those who have oppressed and have have brought uh, hardship on others. He will make them the slave and he will set others free. And it's a, a beautiful picture of the judgment that God will bring. And this morning we're going to be back in our study of the Apostles' Creed as we're continuing to look at the first clause of the Apostles' Creed, which states, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And and so we're going to look at that phrase or that one word, Almighty, today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, as we consider uh, the almighty nature of God, the nature of God as the almighty king of this world. And and as we've worked through the Apostles' Creed, we're working through the essential doctrines of the Christian faith. What does it mean to profess faith in Christ? What is it that a Christian should believe? And as I've explained, I think that that is very well formulated and stated in this ancient creed that is known as the Apostles' Creed. So as we begin Today, I want us to start by reciting again the Apostles' Creed as we go through this and commit it to memory uh, during our time in this study on this creed. And so if you'll notice in your bulletin, in the center of your bulletin, there is uh, printed there the Apostles' Creed. And let's read it together as we profess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in who God is and, and what He has done. So let's start by reading uh, the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave, On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. So last week we began to consider this first clause, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we saw that God is a personal, spiritual being who is intimately involved in His creation. Yet that's not all that God is. The creed goes on to state that God is also Almighty. Now this word has a a very important place in Scripture as it serves as both a name for God and a statement of His character, an essential element of who God is, who, what His character is. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the name is El Shaddai. You might have heard 
of God referred to as El Shaddai. El being the the general name God. El means God in Hebrew. Uh, And Shaddai meaning Almighty. And so the Hebrews would often refer to God as El Shaddai. In Exodus chapter 6 verse 3 we find that God says that this is the original name that he gave to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when he's giving the covenant to Abraham, he announces, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. This name, though, is not just a name. It's not just like Nathan or John or whatever, even though those names actually do mean something. But it also is important Because it describes God's character. So not only is God personal and loving and gracious towards his creation, but he is also in complete control over everything that he's created. In fact, the one thing that I want you to understand today is that God is in complete control over all things, over everything in this universe. This control is what we call sovereignty, that God is sovereign over all things. God is completely sovereign over this universe. Now, in saying that, we mean that God has both the authority and the power to rule. So on the one hand, God is the one true God and creator of this world. And that means that he is the king over all things. He has the authority over all things. Understand, God is not asking for your allegiance. He is not begging for you to love Him. God demands it and He deserves it because He is the King over this whole universe. Because He is sovereign over this universe, we owe Him. We owe Him faith and allegiance and obedience. It's not something that we give Him to get something out of Him. It's not something we hold over God as if, God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll serve you. God is the one who demands. We are the ones who are called to be obedient. It isn't the other way around. And God is sovereign in His power too. So not only does He have the authority as King of the universe, but He has the power to rule as well. It is not just that he has authority but lacks any real ability to enforce it and to rule like the king of England. You know, the king of England, King Charles, he is a a placeholder. He has authority because that is the way his government is organized, but all of that authority rests not in him, but in the prime minister and in the parliament. He has no authority Uh, no power to enforce his rule. It is all given to him by the government, the elected government of England. And so he has no, he has the authority. He has the place as king, but he does not have the power to rule. No, God's rule extends over all this world and he rules by his own might. He rules because he is in complete authority and in complete power to rule over this world. So to see these truths, let's read Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36 together. 
Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. It says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Now, this is a a beautiful statement of praise to God Almighty, and it comes at the end of a very long treatment of the sovereignty of God. In fact, if you want to get the full context of what Paul is talking about here, then you'd need to go back and start in Romans chapter 8 and read all the way through Romans chapter 11, because that whole section of the book of Romans deals with God's sovereignty over this world and the way that he is organizing all of history to bring about his purposes in this world. But Paul can't help but stop at the end of this long section of study on God's sovereignty and just praise God for his control over this world. And there are four elements of God's sovereignty that all Christians should affirm. There are four elements of God's control over this world that all Christians should affirm. And we're going to notice those four elements in in this passage. First of all, we should affirm that God is omniscient. Now, if you're taking notes, that is spelled O-M-N-I-S-C-I-E-N-T, omniscient, which means that God is all-knowing or he is all-wise. So notice in verse 33, Paul marvels. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. In confessing belief in God's omniscience, there is something that we reject and there is something that we affirm. First of all, we reject the idea that God's knowledge is contingent on human will or actions. In other words, we reject the idea that God is waiting around on us to make decisions for Him to know what He should do next. God is not waiting on us. God has a purpose and a plan for this world and He will bring it to pass because He is in full control and He knows all things. He knows exactly what He is doing. Now there's a group of heretics that are known as open theists. And they teach that God, because man, they believe that man is totally free and is not bound by anything, uh, either God or anything else in this world, that God cannot fully know what free humans will do. And so because he can't fully know what free humans will do, his knowledge is not complete. He doesn't know all things. He doesn't know the future. He doesn't know everything that's going to happen in this world. Now, certainly they would say that he's very wise and he's very knowledgeable. He's much more knowledgeable than anything else in this world. So he, he, he's able to kind of guess what we will do. And that's why he has prophecies. But he, is, he does not fully know everything. But we reject the idea that God does not fully know all things. God is in full knowledge. He is the perfect, fully 
uh, knowing fully wise God and he knows all things. So Proverbs chapter 16 verse 1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Psalm 139 verse 4 says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Think about that. Even before we know what we're going to say. In fact, a lot of people say before they know, right? Uh, you, by the way, that, you ought to practice a little omniscience yourself and, and, and know something before you say it. But, uh, you know, what's that saying? It's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Um, so uh, some people would do better just to be silent. But, uh, but when we say that God, when, Paul, uh, when the psalmist says that God knows something before we even say it, he's saying that God knows what we're thinking before we even think it. He knows right even before we say it, even before we make it known, he knows it and he is in complete control of all things. So that is something that we reject, that God doesn't know everything and he can't know everything. But we also affirm something as a result of that. We affirm that God has never learned anything. So to say that God is all-knowing is to also say that God cannot be taught. God, there is nothing that we can educate God on. There is no way to say, well, God was caught by surprise in this one situation or another. God knows all things, and as a result, He cannot learn anything. We cannot teach Him anything that He doesn't already know. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As a result, God does not need us to complete His knowledge of this world. But rather, we need Him to understand this world fully. It is only by God's revelation. It is only by the revelation of His Word and the revelation of His Son, Jesus Christ, and the work of His Spirit in your life that you can really, fully understand this world as it should be. It is God who reveals this world to be as it should. And so any, any teaching, any belief that would say that we do not need God, that God is a, an addition to our lives, but He is not the supreme leader and revealer of our lives, is a false belief in God. Second, not only is God omniscient, but saying that God is sovereign, we mean to confess that God is omnipotent, which is to say that God is all-powerful. Omni meaning all, and potent meaning powerful. So to say that God is omnipotent is to say that He is all-powerful. In verse 36, Paul uses this really neat phrase that I love. I love to read it every time I read through Romans. He points out, uh, that points to this truth and to the next truth that we're going to talk about. He states, from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. All things come from God. All things are sustained by God. And all things have their purpose or their end in God. The power of God created this world out of, uh, and everything in it out of nothing in six days. The power of God judged the world in a flood. 
The power of God confused the language of arrogant men. The power of God caused an old man and a barren woman to conceive a child of promise. The power of God parted the Red Sea and led his people by fire and cloud and defeated the armies of Canaan and kept his people in peace. And that same power of God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that power of God calls people to faith even today. Third, by confessing the sovereignty of God, we are confessing his omnipresence. Now, the word omni again means all and presence means present right, or or place. So uh, when we say that God is omnipresent, we mean that he is all present. He is present everywhere in this world. Again, verse 36 says that God is working through all things. Psalm 139, verse 7 through 12, marvels that there is nowhere that a man can go to escape God. He says you can go to the highest mountain or to the lowest depths of the sea, and God is still there. And then he says you can go to the highest of heavens or down to hell, and God is still there. You understand that even in hell, you cannot escape the presence of God. God is present everywhere. Now, in affirming God's presence everywhere, we have to be clear. As I taught last Sunday, we do not believe, we reject the idea of pantheism, which is the belief that God is in all things or that everything is God. So the trees are God and the stones are God and these pews are God and you're God. That's pantheism, okay? Uh, That everything is divine. No, we believe that God is holy which means that he is separate and distinct from his creation. He is not bound by his creation and he does not need his creation to exist. And so we reject the idea of pantheism. We do not believe that everything is divine because everything must be the material reality of God. But rather, what we confess is that God is not limited by his creation. God is not defined by space and time. There is nowhere on this earth in which we can say there is the place that contains God. There is no temple. There is no church. There is no idol. There is no nation that contains God. God is, as converse though, God is with us everywhere we go. God is present everywhere we go. So God is present with his people in Israel in the Old Testament. But guess what? As soon as Israel is conquered and they are led away into exile, guess what Jeremiah and Isaiah tell them as they are led away into exile? I will be with you when you go into Babylon. God is still with his people wherever they go. And so, yes, there is no place that we could say that God is contained, but yet we can affirm that wherever we go, God is there with us. If we go into a temple, God is there. If we are in this church, God is here. When we are, go into pagan lands to take the gospel, God is with us wherever we go. He is with us when we sleep. He is with us when we lie down. And He is with us when we rise up. God is with us. Wherever we go. Finally, in confessing God's sovereignty, we are confessing that God is the end of all things. God is the purpose for everything. As Paul states it in verse 36, notice the end of verse 36. It says, 
to Him be glory forever. All things, everything in this world is made for the glory of God. And all things find their purpose in Him. He is the ruler of all the world and He has made us for His glory. Because of that, and you need to understand this today, you will never find fulfillment and purpose apart from God. You can chase after substances like alcohol and drugs and, and pornography and whatever else it might be, but you will not find fulfillment in those things. You can chase after relationships thinking that those relationships will bring you purpose, but they will not bring you the fulfillment that only the Creator that made you for Himself can bring you. You can search after knowledge and wisdom, thinking if you only understood the depths of the world and the the heights of this earth, that you could have true fulfillment and purpose. But none of that will mean anything without God. You can worship crystals and pagan deities and so, or some impersonal force thinking that those things have power in this world and can give you meaning and purpose, but they will not fill your heart with the purpose that has been made and set on God. Amen. None of those things will satisfy. Only the God who made you for His glory will be enough. Amen. Also, in connection with that, Because God has made us for His glory, to fail to give Him glory, to take that glory from Him and put it on something else like a false idol or a false element or another way of living, to, to live for yourself, to seek your own glory, to live for pride and in pride is the ultimate meaning of sin. It is what it means to sin against a holy Almighty God. To rebel against the Almighty God of this world is to act in sin and to take away from His glory. So friend, if you would live with purpose and meaning, then you must turn to the one true God. If you are to escape the judgment of this all-powerful King, you must repent and trust in Him. This all-powerful King is also the gracious Father who gave His Son as the sacrifice for your rebellious sin. Today, won't you turn to Him in faith and trust Jesus Christ that you might serve this one true God who has made you for His purposes. Brothers and sisters, our calling in this world is to live for the glory of God. Everything we do, whether it's leading in this church and serving in this church, or whether it's working in this world, raising a family, taking care of our grandkids or our nephews and nieces, uh, teaching in the school system, or building something, or leading in one way or another in this society. All of it is to be done for the glory of God. And if it is done for God, it brings glory to Him as we serve other people. We do all things that we do For the glory of God. And we do all of them in the power of His Spirit. That as we serve God, He gives us the power to do what we are called to do through the presence of His Spirit. And we do so knowing that He is with us wherever we go. And He gives us wisdom to speak the truth as we go into this world. So may we go into this world this week serving this Almighty God 
who gives us the power and his presence and his wisdom as we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, we thank you for your sovereignty over our lives and in this world. Lord, we know that we have an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God who is with us wherever we go and gives us the power to live for him in this world. Lord, I pray that you would bless us now as we respond in faith. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.